trying to get back to the basics of great products. Power comes from sharing information. I try to convince people to slow down. Free. Yeah. Open. This is the Soak Dice Podcast. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Soaked by Slush podcast. My name is William von der Palen and next to me is Isak Rautio. Here I am. And yeah, let's dive right, right into it without any any um, further ado. So our guest today is uh, Sofia Benz. Welcome. Thank you so much. As we usually start off in this podcast, just so we don't screw up the introduction too much, we've uh, found it much easier for the guests to tell a little bit about themselves and, and what they've they've done so far and and also what you're uh, doing now. Right, yeah, be happy to. So uh, my name is Sofia Benz. I'm based here in Stockholm, Sweden. I am a marketeer and storyteller by heart and trade. Uh, Started off my career actually as a risk management consultant at Deloitte, just to understand that I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. But it was a great learning experience. Later on, I joined a PR firm and really enjoyed it. And I felt like I was in my right element. Uh, but then was um, uh, I met the Spotify founders early on in 2006. And then, of course, that sounded too exciting not to, to try it out. So I joined Spotify as the global marketing director. And um, <clears throat> it was my job to more or less handle anything that had to do with the user. So uh, I ended up staying on for eight years. And I had uh, yeah probably the most fun I've ever had professionally. <laughs> But also a lot of blood, sweat, and tears because, as you know, it's hard to build a company. Um, but super rewarding, and um, I got to spend the last five years uh, with Spotify in New York City when we launched in the U.S. And uh, I saw the company grow from zero users to over a hundred million users, and I helped launch the company in fifty-six markets. So uh, lots of learn lessons learned, and and wonderful experiences, and and many good friends from those years. Yeah, and exactly. After Spotify, I started angel investing more actively, uh, and that led to me joining Atomico. Um, what year was it? Must have been 2017. And then I stayed on for four and a half years, and I was promoted partner. So I looked after the sourcing activities in the Nordic region, and then I headed up their angel program. But after uh, a couple of years with Atomico, I felt the uh, itch to go back to early stage investing. So since September 1st, I joined Sherry Ventures which is a um, seed fund that are doing investments across Europe. And I'm still based in Stockholm and now focus on early stage investing. Great. Yeah, you had, you've uh, managed a lot in, in a relatively short time and, and we'll uh, dive into Spotify more specifically uh, towards the end of the episode. But I thought we'd uh, focus on the marketing angle uh, since you've obviously had a very interesting experience for, in a company that everyone, basically everyone knows or even uses nowadays. So, um, yeah, maybe from the VC perspective, since you've also now spent some time as a VC uh, after the Spotify tenure, um, there's, at, at the moment, at least here in Finland, we have some VCs that are very uh, focused on investing in brand-driven companies since day one. So they want there to be a very clear brand with, uh, you know, perfect-looking materials and decks and also I- an identity, and, and they really feel that the brand is the the number one uh, ace up the, these companies' sleeves, but um, do you think that's truly what's important in the beginning of, of founding a company? Because then there's the other side uh, of the coin where people, uh, some investors say that you know that's not important at all. You don't even need a pitch deck. You don't even need a logo. Just sales and, and traction. 
Yeah, I think it depends on when you invest, obviously. But um, for me, I wouldn't care too much about the kind of aesthetics if it's very early. But I would care about if I feel like the company has, I don't know what's it called, but maybe the equivalent of a soul. Because I think, you know, the, the way you present the brand in how it looks and how it sounds and how you articulate yourself and the tone of voice you use, et cetera, those are all things that you work out. But what you need to see or want to see uh, very early on is the fact that um, there is some sort of um, the DNA in the company that will later on translate into a brand. So I would I would look for like what is the uh, the core mission and what's the bigger dream that this founder is pursuing, and and that kind of the thing that makes his or hers heart beat and, and make them go up every day to work hard. That is the energy that you want to later on translate into a brand. I don't know if it makes sense, but. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting. Trying to get a sense of the soul of the, the the company. It's an interesting perspective. Do you think that the the, the marketing communication in, in general has to do with, or how closely is it tied to the sort of internal identity of of what who the company is? And and then you talked about translating that into some sort of expression of who they are. Can you speak a bit more on that? What are your thoughts around this? I mean, at least from my perspective, I think it's um, it's crucial that things are aligned. So uh, the dream and the passion of the founding team uh, will kind of set the ground for the uh, internal culture and the spirit of the company, if you like. And I think that is closely linked with the external way that the company communicates. If if it would have been a big difference between the two, then I would have been a bit worried and thought about, is this, you know, how solid is this? But almost like, you know, when you get to know a new friend, like you want to understand who is this person. And then you want to see that that person is consistently behaving in the same way so that you build trust and and you feel like you understand, you know, who who is this person and what motivates them. And and, and it's easy for you to, to, to like them because they clearly present themselves. Do you think there's uh, any difference uh, in early stage companies, at least between if you're a very consumer focused or if you have a consumer product or if you're more focused on on selling B2B, doing a platform, doing something like that? Uh, does that change your perspective? I mean, there are changes, of course, but I do think that either way you have customers and you want to be super valuable to those customers. So you build a brand, even if you are a B2B company, whether you like it or not. And I normally uh, think about it as sort of your brand is mostly not what you say you are. Uh, it's what the users say about you. That's actually what your brand is all about. So you can't force it upon everything or, or anyone. It's it's all of the different sort of activities and the ways you communicate and and, and how your product is interpreted, etc. that together forms the um, impression and what makes up the brand. Right. That's also a good perspective. Like if you think about like Mickey Mouse, like some something that everyone knows, like it's not, it's easy to see that Mickey Mouse is Disney's property. It's their intellectual property. It's their copyright. It's their whatever, but it's not really, it's not really, that's not really what it is. It's, it's, it's in every child's mind. It's in every adult's mind who grew up with Mickey Mouse. That's what it is. Do you, yeah. I don't know how, how uh, do you have like your, uh, a definition for what a brand is? Like what's your sort of guiding uh, idea of what, what what building a brand is all about? I, I normally come back to like, you need to figure out 
your why, like why, why are you here and why do you matter? And also what type of role do you want to play in the consumer's life? Like who, whose hero do you want to be? And, and I think that is a question that you should ask yourself really early on and then build from there. And then, you know, as a marketeer, you can, of course, you know, bring on board really smart brand strategists and create this brand positioning document and use fancy language, et cetera. But in the end of the day, if you have internal documents, but you don't act that way externally, your consumers are not going to understand. So that's when I normally come back to like, you are what your consumers say you are. You're not what your brand internal documents say you are. Yeah, because one perspective that we've heard from other founders or marketeers or something we've encountered also in our personal entrepreneurial tracks is that you need to be quite coherent to be believable. If you can't stay on brand, then no one can really understand what you are. And it's very easy to just have these fancy things or cool ads or do something charitable every once in a while. But if it's not tied to what you are, who, who whose hero you want to be, as you put it, it seems that people won't believe you and it won't fly. No, I completely agree. Uh, consistency is really important. And um, there is a book by a psychologist called Robert Caldini or Cialdini, and he lists seven things that helps people to make up their mind. And one of them is consistency. So it's easier for people to like someone, something, a brand or a company, if there is consistency, because that creates trust. And then they know what to expect. And also, as soon as a human being had made up their mind about a viewpoint, they like to stick to it. So that's definitely something that you should keep in mind when communicating as a brand. Yeah, and probably not something that's also very, very hard to do, especially in times of crisis or when you have to make difficult decisions. Um, Yeah, but I think you can maneuver it by explaining to the users why you're making certain decisions. So... Like, I agree with you. Today, you need to be fast moving and you need to reiterate all the time. So in one way, flexibility is key. But I do think that if you come back to the core and come back to the core values and you explain it carefully for the users, they will understand and accept. And that is another thing that I normally talk to marketeers about, that you should communicate with your users as if they are your best friend. Because, you know, you can never talk to them as if they don't understand or you know, are somewhere remote, or you don't have a relationship to them. So you need to build almost like a relationship. Think about them as your your friends. If we translate all these in- insights and go back to the uh, the sort of the founding days of a, of a hypothetical startup somewhere who hasn't made their first uh, marketing move, as it were, how do you? Uh, what are the some sort of? If we assume a situation where where they don't have a marketing person yet in their team. Uh, what are the sort of quintessential skills that need to be be held by the founders or at least kept in mind when eventually maybe the first marketing hire is being made or maybe the first marketing dollar is being spent or marketing euro because we're in Helsinki right now. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah, no, I would, I would come back to what we kind of just spoke to. And I think normally the founder always has an idea of what they want to achieve and why. And it's that idea that you as a marketeer connects with and then your job is to take that and translate it into a whole different set of kind of assets so that you can roll out a marketing plan and a communication plan but normally the founders have the core of the essence of the company in their minds 
And uh, one good example of how to kind of distill it or crystallize it could be, you know, practice um, an interview situation and tell yourself, if I can get three things across in this interview, and, you know, when the readers tomorrow look back and, and remind um, or think about an article, what are the key things that they took away after having read the article with me? What is the most important thing that I want to get across? Normally, that is tied to your brand and who you want to be and why you matter. So I would say that that is a good kind of exercise to do. Three core things. If I can only, you know, what would be an ideal headline be? And the, if there would only be three bullet points that people took away from this article, what would they be? Um, so I think that is a good start. And then uh, when hiring someone, you should think about a person who, you know, same way as you always source for, for talent and, and someone that you have a good chemistry with and that understands what you want to achieve so that they can sort of take all of the things that you have and then, you know, make it even bigger and run with it. How did um, that, uh, yeah, translate into, did uh, did Spotify have someone doing marketing before they hired you? You you said you, you entered as the global head of marketing. So I assume there was maybe someone doing something more local stuff already. No, I was the first one. And uh, the jokes in the beginning were that I was the only one who couldn't code. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's really true, but it, it almost felt like it. So uh, actually we had funny conversations in the beginning. And I I remember giving a presentation to the team where I actually convey them of why we should build a brand and why it matters. Because there were you know people that thought, oh, we should just be the matrix of music. We should be this underlying technology. We don't need a consumer brand. So I entered a company that was very strongly kind of product and tech led. And I needed to sort of explain why I thought it mattered. Um, but I, I also think it's super important, of course, to have a product that delivers upon the values and promises that you make as a marketeer. So I think with Spotify, it was a good combination of a product that over delivered and also a communication strategy that was effective. When you when you enter a company like Spotify, I had actually no idea about this scenario where you, ha- you there was basically no sort of brand identity starting to materialize yet, and there was actually resistance. So, what do you when you come into a situation like that? What do you what are the first strings that you start to pull at or start to notice? Like, okay, this is the thing that we can use. Or like, what are the sort of narrative narrative avenues that you find uh, for the first time in this sort of blank slate? So I think it starts already when you meet the founder. So I could already, one of the aspects of why I got super excited about Spotify was because I felt that Daniel and Martin were no ordinary business guys running around Stockholm. They were quite extraordinary and they are extremely inspiring to listen to and they describe what they want to build with the product. So I had a lot of meetings with them where I I got the chills, like it was goosebumps. I remember one meeting, we met up at four o'clock in the afternoon And I didn't leave until nine o'clock in the evening and I was kind of four hour delayed to my dinner. But that was because we had so many ideas of what we could build with this product, what we could do and how we could communicate it. So there, for, for me, it felt like an endless sea of opportunities to communicate this. And I think that is one of the things that kind of made both them and me excited about the opportunity of working together. So from my perspective, I had an, uh, a feeling already before I joined that here there is something super strong um, almost like an unpolished diamond that I as a communicator can kind of polish up and communicate it externally. 
there was like a lot of substance and a lot of excitement. Um, but then more kind of tactical when I joined, what I actually did in the beginning was that I held a workshop with everyone at the company. And at the time we were just 11 people and I bribed them with popcorn. <laughs> and then we had like a two hour workshop where we, where we talked about who are we? Why do we matter? Why do we believe that we will succeed and no one else will? Um, and kind of sessed out some of the core values of Spotify that lay the foundation of, of uh, the brand positioning. Yeah. Going back to the hypothetical startup that uh, Isaac mentioned, um, once you make the first marketing hire, as uh, Daniel and Martin made in this case, what are something? What are some things you as a founder need to learn to be able to manage your first marketing person? Also considering that maybe that isn't your strong suit or something that you are, you know, as gifted uh, in as in, in other things. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, uh, people have different preferences here, but for me, what I thought was uh, great with how we did it at Spotify was that we said in the beginning, let's hire based on drive rather than perfect resume. So we had a lot of people, I mean, many also from the music industry that applied for jobs at Spotify. But we said, let's not get someone who have done this before or have, or have a view of how it should be done. So I was in that way, a kind of blank slate. I didn't have any preferences. So this is how you normally do it as a CMO. I came in and I took the job um, kind of doing it the Spotify way from the first day. So I think that's one higher based on drive uh, and chemistry. And then uh, make sure you get a lot of time with that person uh, because the marketeer's job or the brand strategy's job is to understand what's going on in the founder's brain and then you know, translate that into a brand. And in order to get that understanding, you need to spend a lot of time together, at least in the beginning. Yeah, so maybe buy a popcorn machine uh, for the office. <laughs> That's never a bad investment. No, no. <laughs> But on a more tactical note, then, um, the because m- many founders think about this, and, and a lot of the VC money actually that's being raised is is um, spent, as I understand it, towards customer acquisition, to towards marketing, towards uh, Facebook ads, uh, Google ads, the likes. Um, but when when do you think uh, companies should start spending? You know, serious ad money, not just testing a few hundred dollars on on something, but actually starting to spend ad money. And and what could you do also before that's uh, relevant? I think it's important to understand who your audience is, who you want to speak to, uh, and also make sure that you have a product market fit and that you have technology that scales. Um, so I would say that those are the three key things because if you don't know who your main target audience is. It's going to be like pouring uh, a cup of water into the ocean. Like your message will be diluted because the audience is so broad. Now you can do great targeted campaigns. So understand who your key priority is when it comes to audience and know that you have a product or service that you have found product market fit with. And then you can start spending money. Are there some good uh, cheap ways? Uh, I know everyone is now listening like, what what ways are there uh, because you know oftentimes that takes of course also money and testing and 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 failures on the way but are there some good ways you've used to to maybe not bust the bank finding that product market fit or finding that core audience i mean i think you need to iterate all the time uh, i don't have any kind of 
cheap tricks for <laughs> mine right now. <laughs> I think it's all hard work. But I do also, like when you have a product that makes people delighted and excited, you feel it. Like you feel like there's a bus and you have a certain inbound and, and a momentum and a vibe. And if you're lucky, you might also have like an external momentum going on. Uh, so with Spotify, we should not uh, forget that in Sweden at the time, we had this huge debate about, you know, illegal downloading. And we had even a political party uh, that was fighting for that everything online should be free. So I think we, in a way, had a perfect storm. We, we offered something that wasn't available. So our product was by far 10 times better than the existing solutions out there. And at the same time, we had um, a massive debate going on in media already. Um, and at the same time, we had the music industry with the broken business model. So there had a sense of urgency to it. And on top of that, we had a very inspiring founder team with this young guy from, you know, coming from a suburb to Stockholm who wanted to tackle the big music industry, which was a very kind of David and Goliath type of story. So we got a lot of press interest, which, which all kind of happened simultaneously in a positive way. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know at what point we want to dive into Spotify. I'm waiting. Uh, <laughs> we can, we've done it a little bit here already, but it's, it's, um, it's, if, if you have any more questions about the hypothetical startup, uh, no, please I, ask I them think the bit. hypothetical startup is much more boring than the not so hypothetical Spotify. Yeah, so. not so, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Because, because I'm interested in the, in the, I've asked you a few questions about the early days in, in, in Spotify already. But if you, uh, can you take us through those first years? Like, what 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 were the sort of strategies you took uh, with the communications? What were the first sort of moves that you made, and the first sort of things that you thought were relevant to communicate? Uh, and how and how does how did this sort of picture start to materialize? You mentioned that a lot of it came from uh, Daniel, the founders, also, and and uh, and uh, a lot of the guys. But um, can you take us through those first years? What yeah, like? sure. Um... Sometimes when I think about the Spotify years, it's like a big green fog because we were so busy and working 24-7, um, being stressed out about the upcoming product launch or country launch or shutting down fires. So sometimes I wish I had taken more notes <laughs> <laughs> while at it. But I would say my first year, uh, a few important things that I worked on was A, uh, kind of defining the brand. So creating this workshop that later on led to the brand positioning document so that I had a kind of platform from where I could start creating the communication. Uh, we were in stealth mode the first year. So my job at that time was pretty much to also communicate that no, you can't have an invite. Um, and it's actually interesting because that book that I mentioned in the beginning of the show uh, called The Preservation of Psychology talks about one of the tactics is scarcity. And you know, the, the basic human behavior is that if something is limited or rare, or if there's a VIP line in a nightclub, if you can't have it, you, you want to have it. So the fact that I needed to say no and gather a lot of email addresses and engage people's interest in the beginning was playing to our strength. So later on, when we launched the, um, the beta test, we had a great momentum and a lot of people that wanted to try the service. For us, that was one of the most important ways to kind of sense check what we had built and how it resonated with our audience. 
I think from a communications and branding perspective, it was also a great way to make our users feel seen and heard and actually involved because we tap their brains on you know, product development and ask them what you want to see, what are some of the most you know, desired features, etc. And I think coming back to that other Caldini thing that he talks about, consistency, when people like your product, they give you a lot of, I mean, at least it are uh, core users, a lot of time and devotion and dedication. And uh, I think we kind of did a good job in <clears throat> helping them to talk about us with their friends. So uh, when we gifted, you know, 10 invites to some of the most influential music bloggers or journalists, etc., for them, it was an opportunity to be kind of Santa Claus or, or be someone in their community who could give something valuable to their friends. That is a great position to, to have as a brand. Um, so I think we were good at taking an opportunity to, to help our users uh, sort of transition into almost becoming fans and, and, and uh, super users and ambassadors and making it easy for them to talk about us and to share us with their friends. Yeah, I think it's uh, very important to remember that this was what 2007, 2008, and and nowadays this is not this is like quite a common strategy. But uh, yeah. back back then, uh, that really wasn't maybe the way most companies did that. Because at now that when you look time, at we had uh, we had Gmail who had actually just done it, so yeah. that was kind of our inspiration. But also it was a, a, a mere practical thing because we wanted to ensure that the service held best quality ever. So we didn't want to scale it to millions of people if we had been able to. We wanted to kind of grow in a controlled way in order to make sure we had the best quality. Yeah, we spoke to Rahul Vohra from Superhuman who had basically exactly the same uh, principle behind having the 300,000 plus uh, people waitlist at the moment. Yeah. And, and this is clearly a strategy that now is quite like a, the modern way to do it for these consumer consumer brands. But uh, in general, what what kind of companies do you think benefit from this model? Because this is probably not applicable to every company. Um, you know, not everyone can afford maybe to say no, or maybe at least that's what what entrepreneurs are thinking. Yeah, oh, I think I mean software companies that want to have a controlled growth and that might have some limitations based on you know licensing deals, etc., um, or where you want to product develop with your audience. So, you know, entertainment companies, um, content companies, productivity companies, yeah, could potentially benefit from this tactic. Did you get anything wrong in the early days of Spotify? <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, again, I wish I've listed the, everything in more detail, but we did mistakes all the time. I think, you know, we were young and naive and I think that was a good thing. We probably wouldn't have done it. I mean, maybe uh, just speaking for myself, at least, <laughs> if we understand how much work it was. So I think a portion of being naive is, is only a good thing. And also you become more creative and resourceful when you haven't done it before. You just kind of tackle it heads on. But I think uh, if I look back, uh, I would say that, you know, growing fast is always hard and scaling culture can be very hard. So. Uh, um thinking back i mean and i've said this to daniela martin but sort of launching in the us i would have loved to have had the presence of the founders there even more because i think it's really important to uh, have them there in order to get the culture right from the beginning 
what was the hardest market um, to get right to launch in, uh, in maybe in terms of, of marketing or actually acquiring users? <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm laughing, but uh, I don't know. But you, your question, it, it, and you know, not based on data and stats, but my my kind of headache. <laughs> Looking back, I had a lot of headache with the French market because we had a strong competitor there, and also we um, mm. were so Scandinavian and they were so local. So um, that was the market that took some time to. Crack. Right, they have a local competitor in France. Right, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh yeah but maybe uh still taking one step backwards uh, i'm really interested in this book you've mentioned um now i i think we need to read it it sounds like a good book yes this, i highly uh, recommend it yeah is this the Aldini one yes yeah yeah we i need can send you the link afterwards so you can link to it in the in the show but yeah uh, i would definitely. say it's a must read for every marketeer and communicator out there yeah, exactly but touching on, on the book and touching on that uh, we we touched obviously a bit on the brand and what makes it great but maybe still maybe from the angle of the book what do you think separates a good consumer brand from something that's truly great as spotify that actually and maybe one question I've had uh, for myself is that how much, because this is, and this is impossible to answer, I think, but still as a thought for both of you, how much of a great brand is kind of um, something that you look at in hindsight? Because when you look at like brands and if you look at Apple, you look at Nike or Coke or whatever, they are like, obviously they are well known, but they are also well known as a function of being so well known. And I'm thinking is how much is it because of a great branding effort and, and then you kind of in reverse or in hindsight, you know, show everyone that this is what we did to succeed and how much of it is also just pure timing, pure business success. They had good timing and, and the great business model and then they kind of had a good enough brand that now is considered great because of the success. Yeah, considered iconic. I agree. No, I think definitely some part of the story is written afterwards with like, I mean, the book that the Nike founder has written has yeah. probably manifested that brand even stronger, even though you haven't experienced the brand firsthand. So yeah, interesting perspective. And I agree with you. Uh, but a few kind of takeaways for me, why I think Spotify or, and other brands, or I, I'll speak to Spotify since that's my core experience. But I, I do think that your product needs to be stellar. Um, in order to create a strong brand because you want to deliver upon the brand promises. So the fact that we had a product that was kind of surprising people with that delightfulness, it was, you know, when you talked about, yeah, we're a digital music service, people didn't really get that excited because there were other music services out there. We had Rhapsody and, you know, Groove Shark and uh, other music services. But something in the way we built the product uh, made people impressed. I personally think that it was the speediness of it. There were no buffering, no delays. It felt like you had the songs on your computer. So there was a portion of delightful and surprise um, in a way kind of over delivering and under promising, if you like. So a good product that is 10 times better than what's already out there. And for us also like a, a true and kind of concrete problem that we were solving because at the time there were no easy way to play music legally online. So when you searched on uh, Google or Alta Vista, that was big at the time, <laughs> there were the no, yeah, back in the day and Martin actually worked there. So that was um, probably also why we always use that in our example. <laughs> 
But if you typed Madonna, you never got like, oh, here's a link, click and press play and listen to her song. You got articles, pictures, dodgy links, etc. So there were no solution in place similar to the one we had in mind. And then I think also we did a good job in kind of being clear in our communication. And I think there's so many choices for users out there today. They, we are bombarded with communication all day, every day. And we want to make it easy for people to like you and to choose you out of all of the apps that you can download. And you only have one opportunity to make that first impression. And then you need to sort of deliver and stick to it. Uh, and I think we did that well. So again, being clear in who you are and why you matter, and then having a consistency in your communication. Yeah. I do, I, like your per perspective is interesting. because so I do sort of find uh, uh, that, uh, I don't know about the hindsight part in particular, but I don't know if you agree with this, Sophia. Like sometimes when, when I hear this, it doesn't, doesn't apply to this episode or this sort of discussion, but sometimes when I hear like people talk about marketing, describe, uh, it's sort of, it's like, it's, it's, it's sometimes sounds like explaining a joke. Like when you explain a funny joke, like first it's funny, like it has all the sort of parts in it, like when you explain a brand, but then you start sort of deconstructing it, you start explaining the parts and why it works and how, what part of this is like a sort of a, a sort of calculative strategy and how much of this is sort of cognitive psychology and how much of this is like a storytelling. And, and then you start understanding it more, but it sort of loses the sort of tangibility of what it actually is as a whole. Like, do you find that there's sort of this type of, like one part at least, intangible artistry that it come, when it comes to sort of understanding how, how to build a brand or can it all just be understood intellectually? That is an interesting question. I think there's a portion of it, for me at least. I mean, everybody does it differently. And I'm not saying that this is how it should be done. This is just my experiences that worked for me. I think you need to have a, a, a sort of soul, a DNA of a company. And once you have that ingrained, then there are plenty of ways that are fun and you know interesting and interactive where you can, how you can communicate that to the users. You, as you said, you've started angel investing, and you, you now work. You work at Atomico, and now you work at Cherry Ventures. So you've invested in in um, different uh, different brands now along the way, both personally and through these ventures. Um, how have you managed to take your learnings and and uh, apply them to to these companies? And have you have you been able to <laughs> help uh, founders understand marketing better? I think you need to ask them about it. <laughs> But I, I, of course, have those conversations and I find them super interesting and inspiring. Um, I haven't done like a product out of it. I haven't put it down in like, this is the go-to guide. Um, it's more me organically sharing, bouncing ideas, coaching and guiding. Um, because I think there's no such a, such a thing as a, this is how you do it because it's always going to be different. Um, but I think it's all about, you know, helping people to be the most authentic them as a brand. And then the tactics is, as we talked about, you know, you can, they're not set in stone. There's something that you come up with and that ex, sort of expands and, and where you need to iterate and test your way forward. So um, I don't know if that was a good answer to your question, but <laughs> normally for me, how I do it is that I have conversations with uh, marketeers and CEOs and founders and uh, share some of my learnings and I hope that that have inspired and, and uh, maybe help them avoid some of the mistakes and, and pitfalls that we did. 
Yeah, could you maybe share some of the companies you you're involved with uh, involved with through Cherry Ventures or personally, so maybe people can check out what they are doing and and um, you know just if they're interested in these companies. Yeah, sure. Um, one company I'm involved in is called Aura Ring, Finnish company that I yeah I have one here actually. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, really like it, and I'm a big user myself. Uh, I think people should check that one out. Um, I have invested in Clue, which is a femtech company for women who wants to understand their health better. Very interesting one as well. From a branding perspective, there's one called Day that are also focusing on female health and have launched a pain uh, relieving tampon that I think is an interesting one uh, from a brand building perspective. Um, Here in Sweden, there's an insurance company called Hedvig that I've invested in, actually together with Sherry. but I was an angel and they came in as a fund. Um, there's another one called Sauna Labs that are doing personalized learning through AI. Super interesting uh, when you talk about education at scale and how, how fast we can develop as a society when you implement reskilling. Um, I'm looking at a list here I have on, on my wall. That's why I'm looking. <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> Yeah, but I think those are a few of the companies that I would uh, recommend people to check out. Yeah, they will they've all clearly listened to your branding advice because I at least knew all of them. So something is <laughs> has been done right. So. Okay, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Sofia, for joining yeah. us. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I hope it, it was somewhat useful. It oh, was yeah, absolutely it was, very useful. And uh, thank you to everyone who tuned in, listened and, and, or, and or watched the YouTube video. And... Um, Leave a comment and tell us what your favorite brand is. And see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Bye. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed your visit to that conversation as much as we did. Now, if you want to stay updated and keep in touch with us, please subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and then Facebook. You guessed it. Soak by Slush. Thank you, people, for listening. Bye-bye.